guys, what is good? This is Morgan Mueller coming at you with the Joy and Hope podcast, where we seek to bring light to the dark. We actually have each of these episodes begin as a YouTube video. So if you would like to watch the original content on YouTube, search my name, Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, on YouTube, look for the Joy and Hope logo. But otherwise, thanks for being here. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, guys. Morgan here. And Michael as well. Bringing you another episode of Joy, Joy and, Hope. and Hope. So, this is my friend, Michael. Hello. Welcome, Michael, everyone. Also, Baby Yoda, who That's is right. peeping back there. We won, so he's not actually Baby Yoda. We won, this is an adult Yoda, but he's small. That's all. You literally asked me when we sat down. I, we call have... him Baby Yoda, but he's not actually Baby Yoda. It's a nickname. Wow. Okay. Well, I feel... Lied to. I don't know how this is gonna go anymore. <laughs> I thought we also I didn't knew build. You. We also didn't build Baby Yoda. Or Yoda. Where did you get we, small size? We actually we won full grown Yoda. Small full grown Yoda. We won in a build competition. So we did build things with Legos to get him. Okay. But we did not actually build him. That's all. If any of you are fans of the Mandalorian, comment below with who your favorite character is. I've never seen it, but I hear it's great. Um, so yeah anyways moving on this is Michael everyone and I am very grateful that Michael is here today because this is the second part in a two-part series called waiting for the one just a quick recap I don't remember what number it was but whichever episode where we did part one of this series um, it featured my friend Anne and we talked about um, waiting for the one from a woman's perspective and the reason that the one is in quotes, is that as Catholics, we don't believe in a soulmate. It's not like God put um, some honing device inside of me. Is that the word? Is it honing or homing? Honing. 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 Okay. I was like, are you looking at me? Because I got the word I'm wrong. Looking at you because you're talking. Right? Uh, okay. I was like, whatever the word is, it's not like there's a honing it. Um, like instinct in me for this one man somewhere out in millions of people and I just have to go find him and like that's the purpose of my life. Like God doesn't work like that. He gives us free will. We make choices. Um, and we certainly believe that like his hand is on all the workings in our life and God knows because he knows everything. Like if I'm going to get married and if so, who I'm going to marry. And I firmly believe that he puts these people and these circumstances in place but we don't as catholics believe that yeah it's just like you two are made yeah, for each other and fate or or anything like not that. fate not destiny there's this really it's a good movie this movie serendipity nope we're not talking about that like this this is different but we're still calling it the one because it's a cute title yeah. so waiting for the one sure um but today is going to be a man's perspective <laughs> waiting for the one from a not woman's perspective. Not maybe. woman's perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, I think I've told you this story before. When I was in high school, I went on a retreat with, uh, because our whole class went on a retreat at, at this particular high school. And we broke up into, like, boys and girls for a portion of it. And amongst a whole bunch of different things that we talked about, we talked a lot about, like, brotherly accountability and actually having, like, deep, rich friendships and things like that. And after after we had spent a number of different hours hearing these talks... Uh, some friends and I, while we were waiting in line for a meal, 
actually basically just had a small conversation about actually like putting that into practice. And mm. so that kind of began this sort of era in my high school life, so to speak, where I actually had a group of three other boys and myself would meet after school on a weekly basis to pray together and just to talk, just like share about our lives, talk about spirituality, talk about things going on at home or things going on in our own souls. And that was really, really life-giving um, and definitely something that I don't think I would have done on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I bring it up is because there's a strong sense in which I would say that I was called to these other young men. Mm. I would say that like is definitely something that was part of God's plan for my life, but it wasn't like fate. It wasn't destiny. Yeah. Like we were on a retreat together because we went to the same school because mm -hmm. our parents sent us to the same school and things right. like that. And we, it wasn't that we had like, I had magically found like my three, mm -hmm. like not waiting for the one, but waiting for the three. My right? best friends. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. It was a very, on the outside, a very natural thing. Mm. But there was, I think, a supernatural hand in those goings on. That's uh, awesome. Because I don't think that, I don't think that those two things are at odds with each other. Yeah, absolutely. It's more just God's hand at work through all of the circumstances rather than, oh, this is just blind chance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that analogy. Absolutely. So before we get going here, we're going to get to know Michael a little bit more, just some fun facts about him. Um, but real quick, I just want to say thank you to all of my patrons on Patreon. Y'all are the ones that make all of this possible. So Thank you so much. If you have not already become a Joy and Hope patron, if that's something that you think maybe God is putting on your heart, especially if you or someone you know and love tends to watch these YouTube videos or listen to this podcast, and if it is life-giving, if it's joyful for you, if it fills you with hope and leads you closer to God, I ask you to consider supporting financially via Patreon. Um, see the link in the description below or go to patreon.com slash Mueller to do that. But before we get into all of that, before we pray, before we dive in, I just have a couple fun get to know you oh, questions about yeah. Michael. So they start with some fun facts about Michael. Okay. So we met at Benedictine College. We were both theology majors. That's right. And we studied abroad together in Italy. That's right. In Italia. Months. So my questions for you are, what made you decide to major in theology? Okay. Oh, hang on. Question before that. Uh -huh. What made you decide to go to Benedictine? Yeah. What made you decide to major in theology? And where was your favorite place we went while we were abroad? So I think the first one is, why did I go to Benedictine? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it was a combination of knowing that I could be academically challenged there because I was looking between Benedictine and the University of Dallas which was at the time known as like a pretty rigorous school okay. um, and I was in like upper level courses in high school and things like that so I knew that that was something I wanted mm -hmm. to pursue in, in higher education as well so I went to Benedictine in part because of the honors program and because I knew that mm. there would be some kind of like uh, like enriching intellectual challenge to that but also having it underneath an abbey and having it with like a really rich, vibrant, like a Catholic culture and things like that was something yeah. I found very attractive and it was vaguely close to home and things like that. So it was a, a combination of things for sure. Super cool. As far as majoring in theology goes, religion in general has been something that I've been interested in for pretty much all of my life. I mean, even, even like Greek and Roman mythology and things like that. I just, I really love digging into what people believe and why they believe it and things like that. So especially since I was raised Catholic 
it made sense to pursue my own faith a lot further. And it was already something I found very, again, sort of like enriching and engaging and life-giving in high school. Mm -hmm. And so being able to pursue that at an even higher level in an even more intense way with like the experts, basically. Like I learned from people who had written the books that I had read previously, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, That was something that just I thought was really, really cool. Uh, really, really cool. That is really, really cool. And while we were in Italy, there were a lot of cool places that we went. Um, one that sticks out in my memory a lot is the tomb of St. Francis. St. Francis of Assisi. We went to Assisi, uh, and underneath the church there... Is it, is, it, is it a basilica? I think so. I think it's a basilica. I don't think it's a cathedral. is St. Francis's burial place. And while we were in Italy, we actually watched a film about St. Francis just to get a little more reacquainted with his life and things yeah. like that. Which was really cool. I don't know that I had ever actually been presented with the entire full like life story of St. Francis. Same. I heard bits and pieces. But seeing the whole thing, especially put on in uh, film, was actually which was an Italian-made film, no less, was really, really cool. And you really got to know both the man himself as well as kind of the people in his life. Yeah. So going down that like stone tunnel into St. Francis's tomb where he's buried in the center of the room and like the other characters from the movie were buried in like the corners around him for me was just super super cool to like be that like literally that close to um something that happened so long ago but also something that I was really really personally inspired by. So that was that was up there. That's up awesome. there. I don't know if it was my Favorite, favorite, but I don't do a whole lot of favorite, favorites in general. For me, it's like, oh, it's a top 10 kind of thing. Yeah. But. Usually I feel that, but actually a CC was my yeah. favorite, favorite. So nice. that's really cool. Nice. Yeah. Shout out. If any of y'all ever go to Italy, go to a CC. Make a pilgrimage. Make it's a pilgrimage. Cool. Super cool. Um, cool. So that's a little bit about Michael. That's me. Uh, now that we know him, I feel like we can talk to him. But first, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Totus tuus, Maria. Ego sum. I am totally yours, Mary. So, now that we know a little bit more about Michael, we can hopefully trust his judgment regarding Uh theology and all of that good stuff. Michael is one of my favorite people to talk about God with. He recently did a webinar series for our friend group just because it was on his heart and it was soul. It was like soul inspiring for me, like soul enriching. Like it was just super cool. One of my favorite episodes, just a quick fun fact. I know one of my favorite um, episodes that he did was about heaven. Like just really cool, random thing. Um, Because whenever you think of heaven, it's like so easy to just think of, Fat babies with wings, harps, and golden streets, and halos, and whatever. And even though some of that kind of sounds cool, yeah. I, I just remember Michael like went a lot deeper with us and was like, don't imagine so much the place necessarily because that's so beyond us, but just what does it really mean to be in communion with another? Because ultimately, as Catholics, we see heaven as just communion with God and I don't necessarily want to go to heaven if it's just like the golden streets, fat babies, like playing harps, like that doesn't speak to us. But Michael made this really cool point, like communion speaks to us. That relationship should speak to us. And if I don't really know what that means with God, like just consider examples in your own life. So relationships maybe with your family or like Michael was alluding to earlier, his really close friends that God provided for him in high school. Um, those moments where 
maybe you're having a really good heart-to-heart -heart conversation or if you've ever been in love or if you're married like just that that intimacy with your spouse and like you just don't want the moment to end but it inevitably it inevitably does because we're on earth we're human beings we're bound by earth and time but like in heaven to yeah. know that that communion with God will never end. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. And that's like exactly what we're talking about today is like this, this like will of God for man and woman and just the natural vocation of marriage and how beautiful it is and how that is exactly what it's made to do is mirror the Trinity, even though um, religious life is a higher calling in the sense that it is more rare. It is already, um, in a sense, living in yeah. heaven because you're bound with God alone. Marriage um, is actually a more perfect like realization of the love of the Trinity, though, even if it's not the higher calling. And when I heard that in college, I just thought that was amazing because yeah. for a very long time it was just tempting for me to think if i'm not a nun i'm somehow less yeah, than you're selling yourself short yeah lies. yeah, yeah right. like i i believed that lie for so long and so today um i'm really excited that michael is here because he's gonna share a little bit about all of these things but yeah. from a guy's perspective right. which maybe some of you don't get as often. I know that sometimes it's easy to get on YouTube or listen to podcasts and it's just women talking about like sure, waiting. Sure, yeah, oh, I yeah. haven't been asked out. Oh, I really want to be married. But at least for me, I don't ever really get to hear sure, yeah. what guys' thoughts are it's on all there. of that. It's out there. On oh, the I, I 100% believe it Maybe it's just that like, with like a man's ears, you, yeah. just, <laughs> you hear it a little bit more or you retain it a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I definitely haven't never heard it mm -hmm. but i'm interested to see what you have to say so yeah. michael's gonna yeah, start us off here by so we're gonna allude a little bit back to the episode with ann and yeah. a similar structure so just like ann and i began by discussing what does it mean first of all to be woman what does it mean to be woman in general let's start there um michael's gonna start us off with what does it mean to be man which is a big one. Which is a big so, one. There was something that I kind of found frustrating for a good portion of my life where oftentimes we would be talking about what does it mean to be a man if we were on like a retreat or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And they would split up between boys and girls or, or whatever it might be. There's a lot of conversations about what does it mean to be like a good Catholic man or a good Christian man. And one thing I found frustrating was that almost always it was just, we'll just be a good human being. You know what I mean? Which is... There's truth to that. It's good that that is, like, the angle that a lot of people approach it. Because I think for a lot of guys, yeah, like, they're really hyper-fixated on this idea of being, like, manly and things like that. Mm. So sometimes it is good to take a step yeah. back and be like, okay, like, the central part of being a good man is just being a holy person. Like, in fact, when we describe holiness, the elements of holiness, we describe them as virtues. Which, the mm. word virtue literally comes from the Latin word vir, or weir, depending on your pronunciation, which literally just means man. When... Mm our forefathers were discussing holiness. They would describe holiness with these characteristics and they would call them literally like manlinesses. That like courage was, was a manliness and prudence was a manliness and temperance was a manliness. You know what I mean? So, so there's definitely truth to the idea that being a good man involves 
just doing the same good things that everybody does, like mm-hmm. loving other people, caring about your family and your friends, uh, not, you know, eating unhealthily, you know, yeah. th- things like that. Like all of that's part of being like a good man. But what I found frustrating is that that message was on such a place of prominence that we almost never got to the part where we actually talk about what makes masculine holiness mm. masculine. That yes, masculinity is about holiness, manhood is about holiness, but what actually makes it like the masculine version? Because if you're thinking about math, we don't say there's masculine math and feminine math, Mm -hmm. right? Even though we all do it. So when we talk about human life, when we talk about holiness, we kind of want to say that there is something distinctly feminine about feminine holiness. We want to say that there is something distinctly masculine about when a man is holy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was something that I like am still kind of on the search for to a certain degree. Uh, So I will will attempt to contribute a little bit of my thoughts. Um, Bishop Olmsted of Phoenix recently put out an exhortation um, where he just, which is addressed to just the men of the church and to a certain degree to, to all men who are willing to pick up the exhortation and read it. And one of the things he suggests is that we don't have like this clear, well-defined understanding of masculinity in part because it's been obscured by our culture, but also secondly, because it was so obvious for so many people. Like it was something that you were taught just, by your dad gradually, you know, in, in little experiences over and over and over and over. So it's not something that philosophers and academics and kings like really ever like focused on and formulated. Here's how to be a man 101, you know, that kind of, <laughs> thing. Um, but we're going to try to analyze it here. I'm going to, I think focus on like three main ideas and hopefully they won't take too much time. Uh, the first is this idea that manhood and womanhood, I don't think are, like these completely separate spheres of human existence. Um, it's more that like we all are human, but men tend to kind of specialize in certain things and women tend to specialize in certain other things. I'll weirdly compare it to like soup versus stew. It's basically the same ingredients, but they're just in kind of different proportions. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I want to say that masculinity and femininity are kind of like that. There's a sort of general suite of human goodnesses and women at least tend to approach some of them more easily, more readily, more naturally, more Mm -hmm. automatically, however. And likewise, men tend to lean into certain ones, tend to appreciate certain ones more naturally, more easily, more quickly, just in general. I'm not saying everybody's like this, but that's how I'm going to approach this. If I ever say something and it sounds like, now hold on a minute, Michael, (laughs) women do that too, and women have that too. I know, I know. I just think that these are the things that I see as the sort of your specialty as a man, which doesn't isn't a guarantee that you're good at it, but that's what you're specialized for. For instance, you have you have a face, you have a jaw, yes, yes, as do I. The <laughs> do the, I. the idea of like the masculine jaw being sort of like heavier or or stronger or something like that. Um, the leading theory is that that's actually because men are biologically built to take punches to the face. <laughs> that there is a way that we are specialized for a certain thing, a certain experience, a certain role within the community that women. While they can play that role, they maybe don't have, like, the same, like, by the the virtue of your natural constitution. Like, that's the thing that you're kind of built for, if that makes sense. Hmm. Although, could a woman take a punch? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So, uh, there is the idea that men are sort of warriors, right? Um, And that's, I think, probably mostly a biological thing. um, That with the whole the jaw thing (laughs) and a number of other things, like... It seems that our earliest ancestors did kind of have this divide where, like, for some reason, men were in situations where they would get hit in the face more often and things like that. And I, 
And I think you can see in at least like a general survey of the masculine population that like, yeah, we do have this sort of drive to, to take on that role, if that makes sense, that we, we kind of like being fighters, we kind of like being warriors. And it's not like a, it's not a love of violence itself. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's sort of a, a dysfunctional version of masculinity is violence for violence's sake. It's more about developing the will and the skill to address threats, whether that's defending a good thing or mm-hmm. whether that's tearing down something that shouldn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. that, I think, is kind of like the sort of warrior spirit, if yeah. you will, that I want to say that men tend to be specialized for a little bit more so than, than our female counterparts. Um, but I think one of the big ones that I see is a little more overlooked is a, a masculine archetype that I'm not sure how exactly to name. I want to call it, like, the king. I want to say something that to be a man is to be a king. Um, and what I mean by that is that the role of a king in uh, most civilizations, I think, is actually like a political manifestation of the male psyche. And like the, the mm-hmm. role that a man is supposed to play in his community, it's just on sort of like a max, macroscopic scale. I'm going to make an argument, or I'm going to attempt to make an argument, that kingship is a generalized fatherhood. Uh, and to be a man, I think, inherently involves fatherhood of some kind. It could be literal biological fatherhood, or it could be more of a social, more of a spiritual kind of fatherhood. But I think they have some common features. And I think that we can actually use this idea of kingship as sort of like a case study in that. So what does a king do, and therefore what does a father do? I think there are a few things that kings and fathers do. One is to provide order. Now when I say that a king or a father provides order, I don't mean necessarily rules. I don't necessarily mean organization, although those things certainly come into play. The order I'm talking about is the order that we refer to when you go to McDonald's and you order some ice cream and they say, I'm sorry, the machine's out of order. The machine's broken. There's something that's not working. I think it's part of masculinity to kind of play the role in whatever social group you're talking about of providing order. Mm. Um, It's sort of this establishment and maintenance of like everything's right in the world this Mm. this sense of bestowing stability of bestowing harmony of bestowing health and and wholeness uh, by like your actions are such that you sort of cultivate this sort of like things are the way they're supposed to be yeah and that's true both within your own self within your own soul uh, which is why like a lot of, you know, dads always talk about self-control and self-discipline and things like that um, because you kind of have to have that within yourself before you can construct that outside of yourself, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and that kind of order is very sort of, like, clear. Um, or at least we want it to be clear. I think part of providing order, part of being a man and, and providing order and stability and structure to a certain degree involves, like, interpreting the world reflecting on our experiences, abstracting certain principles, and then imparting those principles to those in your care. Like, mm. so many people, when they think about, you know, like, oh, a really good experience I had with my dad, oftentimes it is something that's like, oh, my dad randomly over the dinner table launched into some anecdote of when he was a young man and, and he has some random life lesson he wants to teach us by telling <laughs> us this story, right? That's, that's the king at work. Mm. That's him, like surveying life, interpreting the universe, making sense of things, and seeing those patterns and, and imparting those principles to, to his, his subjects or his children in this mm-hmm. case. Um, I would venture to say, now this is complete speculation, <laughs> that 
mansplaining is actually a like a sort of dysfunctional version of this. But it's like when when a guy sort of oftentimes accidentally slips into this mode of being like, no, no, let me tell you how it is. Mm-hmm. I think that's in like a subconscious attempt at kingship of being able to like introduce order, introduce structure into a system that they perceive as being chaotic or perceive as being out of order. Mm-hmm. Now this order isn't random. It's not order for order's sake because outside of the established order that the king or the father provides isn't chaos in the sense of it's messy. It isn't chaos in the sense that it's disorganized. It's chaos in the sense that it is broken, that it is twisted, that it's aberrant, that it's perverse. Hmm. And so a king providing order isn't order for order's sake. It's ordered to something else. It's ordered to life. It's ordered to wholeness. It's ordered to prosperity. Like Mm -hmm. the king in a society is charged with the prosperity and the protection of that prosperity of the kingdom. So too, I think a father brings a certain sense of structure, stability, peace, prosperity to his household, if you will. There's a, there's a way of thinking about this that is going to seem strange at first, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And that's the idea that man is sort of archetypically like a gardener. Because when you garden, you're not necessarily the one that like, makes life happen, Mm -hmm. but you sort of change the environment that that life happens in so that that life can flourish. It's not that you are the one who's like, you know, cracking the seeds open and and pulling the plant out of it, which is not actually how it works, but but you get the point. But rather you sort of, you till the soil, you pull up weeds, right? You make a wall so pests can't get in, things like that. Like, it's not necessarily that you're the one making the life happen, but you are the one that is sort of enabling the life to happen, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And I think that's part of why men are sometimes like fixers, right? Like there's this sort of classic scene of the wife comes home and she just wants to vent and the husband is immediately (laughs) like, well, why don't you just do this? You know what I mean? Like we sort of naturally want to like, if there's a weed in the garden, pull it up. If Mm -hmm. there's a pest in the garden, kill it. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's just kind of part of what we do. In fact, if we go to... Oh my goodness, he's going to pull off one of his theology books. You, he has a whole other bookshelf over here. It's a big one. It's, it's a the, nice bookshelf. It's the Bible. It's a good, oh, a good theology like it. book. It's a, it's a good one. If you look in Genesis chapter 2, and it talks about the creation of Adam, there's some interesting details. It says, okay, so, In the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth, and... There was no man to till the ground, Mm. but a mist went up and and all that kind of stuff. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul, and God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put there the man whom he had formed. Out of the garden, God, or excuse me, out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to skip down a little bit. To verse 15, where it says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to till and keep it. So we have, like, in two of these little details here, the author of Genesis is sort of reflecting this idea that, like, part of man's purpose is this idea of being, like, a gardener, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That Adam, from the beginning, is sort of charged with the preservation of life, the maintenance of of order, of stability, of structure, of, of cultivating an environment where life can flourish. 
rain. Um, that's awesome. I was so hoping that's where the analogy is going. <laughs> it gets there eventually. Great minds think alike. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that is definitely something that's central to the heart of a man. I think that if we were actually like examine it aside from just like, oh, you gotta be, you gotta be tough. You gotta be, you know, fast. You gotta be whatever. Yeah, right? it's more macho. Yeah, I think that like underlying that, those things are supposed to be tools and dispositions and skills that help us do that thing where we create a place of life. Mm-hmm. In fact, the word husband comes from Old Norse, and it's a contraction of two words, house and, like, farmer. It's a contraction of, like, like the idea is that you are the person that tills and keeps and inhabits the household. Hmm. Like, like, even in the word, when, like, when you say you're waiting for the one, when you're looking for a husband, mm-hmm. you're looking for the one who's going to play that role within the house that you... That's awesome. The house that you have, the family that you make, that kind of thing. Is That's that really have beautiful. this role of... Uh, protection of the structure, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Um, and there are plenty of other things that I think are wrapped up in masculinity, but those I think are the... <laughs> those the, are the big ones. That I think is like a big one that is overlooked and the one I think is I love helpful that. to focus on. That's amazing. You know? That is so, so good. So, yeah, thank you, Michael, yeah, for sharing all of your beautiful thoughts. Praise God for that. Um, so, going forward from mm-hmm. there, talking about what does it mean to be created created man. Um, I want to just pick your brain on one of the things you said at the very beginning, because I think it would be really good to just take a moment and explain that, especially whenever you were saying the stew versus the soup (laughs) and the, the fact that it is sad that masculinity and femininity, um, are just so often misconstrued now and not respected, like the different genders. Mm -hmm. How would you say, um, or okay, let me rephrase that. Okay. Would you say that masculinity and femininity are on the same spectrum and that they're like one con- like continuity and that here's man, here's woman, and whenever right. you're created, you're just somewhere on this scale? Or would you say that there's masculine, like there's male and there's right. female? What would you... Like that, you mean that, like that, you mean like are not they, like well that was weird or is there that was weird I didn't mean to make like guys above girls okay. nothing like that it was just like are they separate or are they just like this one I don't necessarily know that I think that they are dispositionally separate okay I think that biologically they're separate like yes normally when somebody is not clearly male or not clearly female biologically speaking mm-hmm. it's we don't just say like, oh, well, they're, you know, like just somewhere else on the spectrum. Usually we say right. like, this is kind of like a developmental abnormality. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like this isn't what their genetics are actually trying to do. There's some other thing going on that's like causing them to develop both systems. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I think on a biological level, yeah, I would say that we are separate, but kind of like the like the, the jaw thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like even though there are certain things that are exclusively female and certain things that are exclusively male, there are more things I would say that are shared between us. Um, And I don't know if I would say that those are on a spectrum because that kind of makes it sound like the more feminine you are, the less masculine you are. Yeah. And I I don't want to, I don't think that's quite how it works. Yeah. No, I um, don't like that either. I think I heard in a talk one time, like that's not like what we believe. That's not... Mm -hmm the truth that it's this so i mentioned that like there's kind of a whole suite of 
skills or dispositions or talents or whatever. And I think like we all have the same like core characteristics, mm-hmm. but we maybe just have like our emphases are in a little bit of a different place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that in order to become like actually a really good man, you get to start with like, you know, five in this category and four in this category, but only like two and one in, in those categories. Mm-hmm. Whereas a woman gets to start with five and four in those categories, but you know, two and yeah. one in, this, in, in these other That's ones, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that in order to become a successful human being, you have to kind of be able to like be integrated. So like as a man, you actually become more what you're supposed to be when you, when you bump up those other skills. Mm. And I think part of the reason we have complementarity between male and female, part of the reason that our families are made to have male and female in them is specifically so that we can learn from each other. And so that when I become more feminine, it's actually like strengthening a part of myself that was previously weaker. I'm not less of a man now. I'm almost more of a man now for having learned the, from having gotten in touch with my feminine side, if you will. Um, I think that's how I want to say it. I don't want to say it's a spectrum because that makes it yeah. sound like the further you go this way, the yeah, the more you yeah. leave that behind. No, I really that like that. I really like that. Um, so since you were just talking about, yeah, learning from like man, mm-hmm. woman, learning from each other. So again, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking that's about right. marriage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say let's like dive more into that okay. now. Sounds good. Um, so... I'm not going to share Michael's story. Michael's going to share Michael's story, <laughs> obviously. But sure. we're going to, yeah, I'm just going to ask him to share a little bit about his personal experience on his faith journey sure. and vocational okay. journey, what that's looked like maybe over the course of your life, not the two-hour version, but like, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like what does that look like for you? Do you believe that you're called to marriage? Are you still waiting on that like call yeah. there's a lot of different ways you can say it phrase it etc sure i don't know what's best but if you yeah if you want to mind like sharing your story a little bit and like i think my story is kind of boring to be honest that's a lot okay of people, i think have these really like incredible stories of like oh man i really thought i was gonna do this and then surprise got to this other thing right i think mine is my spiritual life is so much just of like these little you take little baby steps at a time mm-hmm. and god reveals things very piecemeal to me <laughs> Um, to the point where one of like the few things that God has actually like given me some progress on, or at least the things that I've actually cooperated on God giving me progress on mm-hmm. is the idea of not trying to discern too far into the future. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in high school, um, this would have been, no, this would have been well after the retreat I mentioned earlier. Uh, I met a girl over the summer doing like some youth group volunteer stuff and she was really cool. Um, we're actually still friends to this day. But she was really cool. She was really cute. We got along. We had a good time talking, all that kind of stuff. And as the summer kind of went on, I was, like, considering, like, oh, should I just ask her on a date and that kind of thing. I was in adoration one time, um, and I was, like, I was so on the fence that I was at that point where I'm just, like, okay, God, you need to just, like, tell me what to do here. You need to just mm-hmm. tell me yes or no, and, and I'll go for it and that kind of thing. I prayed like to you, Divina, before the Blessed Sacrament, and it was on the call of... I don't remember. I think it's Andrew and one of the other Ooh. of the 12. And they're disciples of John the Baptist at first. So they, they have this sort of like active pursuit of the will of God and that kind of thing. John points out Jesus to them and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so, as you can imagine, they're very interested in this. And so they go over to Jesus and they say, Jesus, where are you staying? 
And like the thing that really stuck out to me in my prayer was when Jesus says, not, oh, well, I'm staying at 127 <laughs> Straight Road in Jerusalem. No, no, no. Jesus looks at them and he says, come and see. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like it was this huge lesson and just like... <laughs> God's not always just going to say like, hey, this is exactly what you're going to be doing. Mm, No, it's always this. It's always him pulling us, not like pushing us in a certain direction. It's always him pulling us towards himself. Mm. Um, And so, so much of my discernment, uh, at least right now, like obviously like it's been quite a few years since high school, but even today, a lot of my discernment is trying to remember that vocation is a Christocentric thing. And that discernment is less about you know, saying like, God, tell me what to do. Although that's part of it, but especially just being like, God, reveal yourself to me and, and trying to like make myself available to God for a, a, I would venture to say a lot of the past few years, I've been kind of like, I think I'm called to marriage, but it's a very tentative kind of, kind of thing. Right. Um, and I think I got very comfortable in that space of like, well, I just don't know. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, to the point where I had another moment in prayer, uh, where, where like I was con- somehow confronted with the reality that if God did give in to the request to be like, yeah, I'm going to reveal your exact path to you right now, I wouldn't have been ready for it. I would not have been open to it. I would not have like, mm. I was not yep. actually on board with whatever God wanted for me. I just wanted some sense of like clarity. I wanted some sense of to a certain degree, like I wanted the responsibility of figuring it out mm-hmm. to be taken over by somebody else. You know, you what, know I mean? what I just had come to mind? Yeah. It's like, cause I felt the same way and that is us grasping for the fruit in the garden of Eden <laughs> because we want to be like God. Yeah. We want to know, we yeah. want to know everything instead of just trust him. Yeah. And I think to a certain degree, there's, there's a sense in which Adam and Eve are supposed to be like God. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, is it John Paul II? One way or another, somebody is quoted in the catechism and, and they say that like when Adam and Eve sin, it's not that they are trying to be like God. That's the problem is that they're trying to be like God without God. They're trying to be God without God, without like understanding the way that he wants to make them like himself. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so it's a little, it's a little bit of that trying to, again, just keep this idea of Christocentricity in mind and that, and just trusting that like, when the time comes, if I am ready, like, it will be revealed. Just come and see. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I love that. So that's kind of that's where I'm at. Would I say that I think I'm called to marriage? Yeah. Um, for a variety of reasons. Um, I think I'm, like, disposed towards that kind of thing. I think I do have, like, a deep desire for that kind of relationship, which is not to say that seminarians and priests don't, but mm-hmm. um, that seemed, like, even if I'm... Not to be like, everything happens to me in prayer, but I was praying out on the balcony, which is right here. You guys can't see it, but it's right there. Um, and it was like evening time, and I was in prayer, and I don't remember exactly what I was reflecting on. But I had this really interesting moment of being like, you know what, it would be super cool. It would be super cool to be able to take somebody else into this. And because it was kind of late at night, and I was in the place where I live, my like immediate thought was like, it'd be cool to have like a child with me. You know Aww. what I mean? It'd be cool to be able to... like have like just a wee, a wee small, <laughs> small version of myself and being like, and just being like, like, and just bringing them into that experience of goodness, that experience of richness, that experience of spirituality. So like, mm. it's little moments like that here and there. Where I'm just like, yeah, I mean, marriage, being a father, that is probably something that 
probably something I'd be into. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and I seem to be well prepared for. Like, I grew up with nothing but sisters. Um, so, like, it was me and my dad and then my mom and all my sisters and that kind of thing. So I, like, <laughs> on, a, on a practical level, know to put the toilet seat down. <laughs> I know how to clean hair out of the drain and things like that. So Those like, are useful skill sets that not everyone has. It's true. It's true. It's true. So, yeah. So that's, I think that's about where I'm at. That's um, cool. We've been in some weird circumstances currently, so I haven't exactly been going out and meeting people. That's but true. That's true. Soon-ish, it's been on my been on my mind to like once this all kind of blows over, maybe getting out there because <laughs> I tend to be very like in my own world and, and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, and and my goal is a teacher, and it's easy to get caught up when you're a teacher and like what you're doing it's and like, like yeah. yeah yeah for sure. Um, but thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. and. I want to unpack that a little bit more as well. So So. whenever, so you've dated in the past. I have, yeah. You've dated in the past. Um, Was your first experience of ever thinking of asking someone out the one that you shared whenever you had the come and see moment? No. No? Okay. Because I'm curious. Like didn't end up asking her out. Okay. It was actually not long after that moment in the Adoration Chapel that we had a conversation where it like, it sort of just as we were talking about things, it kind of we kind of unpacked various things, and it was it was evident that our some of our like some of our values were just like a little bit different. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so that kind of stayed my hand for gotcha for the time being. Gotcha. But you have dated in your yeah. life. So what what were those times like? Like what led you into that? Yeah. Was it just a oh this feels right, and so mm-hmm. I just did this? Um, or was it like a prayerful experience? I know that I've had conversations yeah. even with huh, brother Levin this summer about, yeah. Yeah. it's not exclusively like the guy that has to ask girls out, right. um, at least in the beginning or like say something at mm. first, but what was that like in your experience? I want to say that like the times that I've dated, I don't know that it was, it wasn't like a moment of like prayerful revelation and that kind of thing mm-hmm. as much as it was a kind of like boots on the ground kind of discernment, if that makes sense, uh, where, like, it was very much, like, on the go. So okay. It wasn't like I, like, came back to, and then just, like, thought about it for days, and then, you know, like, it's not like, I, like, oh, I went on a retreat, and then decided to, no, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't quite like that. Um, it was people that I was already friends with, and was, to a certain degree, already, like, working with, in, in one, mm-hmm. in, in one instance in particular, we weren't, um, like, employed together, but we were doing, like, some volunteer work together. Gotcha. Um uh, Apparently, I meet a lot of girls doing volunteer work. Anyways. Go do volunteer work. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but um, but we were already doing that, so I kind of already had a relationship with this person uh, existing already. Um, and just especially being able to, like, recognize how well we worked together because we were partnered up for something and things like that was something I was like, okay, this might be worth exploring in a more intentional way, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, in a more kind of committed way and with an eye towards not just this ministry that we're doing at the moment, but maybe doing like a ministry kind of in the future, because like, especially when you're working with a lady and you're working with kids, it can be really, really easy to be like, to have like a, a, a pretty decent picture of like, we could, <laughs> we could probably, we could probably do this like for 50 years, you know, like, so it was, well, what are you so, doing the rest of your life? Yeah. So it was a, it was a little bit like that, just sort of recognizing like those things revealing certain qualities about these people and just like going based off of, I guess, those attractions and also just this sense of dating is a period of discernment. 
And so sometimes to actually like to actually come and see means just being like, hey, do you want to get breakfast? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. That's so good. I love that you keep going back to that because that's something that Brother Levin in the episode yeah. we made this summer nice. was just saying nice. like my favorite line from the whole thing. He was like, you can't discern what you don't know. Yeah. So many people tend to over spiritualize dating. Um, well, first they, they have this whole um, like dilemma of am I supposed to be a priest or mm-hmm. am I supposed to be a father? Am I supposed to be a nun? Am I supposed to be... And like you get so caught up in trying to figure out rather figure it out and just know the plan rather than enjoying the journey going with the flow come and see and so when brother Levin was like you can't even discern what you don't know like you have no idea if you want to be a priest or not you've never been in seminary yeah you have no idea if you want to date this girl or not like you met her once like not in your case but just in general like yeah and so I just I loved when he said that and it just really changed my outlook and made me less afraid and less Mm -hmm. fearful because there have been so many times in my life where I've tried, tried to take control. Yeah. Whether that was thinking I was called to religious life and just trying to figure that out Mm -hmm. so much and just to know, know what was coming next or even when in the past, like if I was approached by a certain guy and like he was expressing interest in me, it was like, oh, well, how old are you? And this and that. And if sure, you don't sure, meet sure. all of these you qualifications. Get like a, you have like a clipboard at the ready. You're like, okay, name? Yeah. Oh, no, but it's so true. Like for yeah, girls, yeah. I can't, I'm sorry if this is your testimony. <laughs> I can't stand sure. the testimonies of those women who are like, okay. I made this whole list for my future husband and I prayed about it. And then, because I named all of these desires down to, he plays guitar and has a dog. Wow. Like, all of them were granted. And, like, you should go make a list and you need to name exactly what you want because God will do it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, like you, you're sure. going to be insistent. Like, he has to have a dog. And right. he has to play guitar. And he has to, like, I, I don't know. I just, I can't stand that because it just leaves no room for the Holy Spirit to work. And I've had so many conversations with people this year about, again, like a way that I believe the Lord revealed this to me this year in the last several months, just like the purpose, at least like in my life, if it would be a husband, like my husband is not my servant. He's not like going to know my every thought. He's not going to cater to my every whim. He's not going to say everything that I need to hear all the time. He's not going to be perfect. Like, that's not the point. He's not going to satisfy my every need. One, no one will. Only God will do that. But even um, on a more human level, like, there are parts of me that, yes, like, my husband would bring out, but that my mom can only bring out or that my best girlfriend can only bring out. Or even in a way, like, you and me doing this video, unpacking, like, this topic Mm -hmm. in our friendship, like, you're we're bringing something out of each other that like no one else can or will and so like it just it showed me that there's so much more freedom in a romantic relationship than i ever thought because i thought i was gonna have to find this person who's gonna all the boxes yeah who's gonna check all these boxes and it's like that's not actually the purpose of this person like absolutely you want to be running to heaven together but Mm -hmm. It's not just going to be the two of you. We're not going to elope in Vegas heaven. Like, we are (laughs) headed to heaven with hopefully, like, our entire family and every one of our friends. And 
anyone we encounter during the day. Like it's so much more, again, going back to that yeah. communal aspect of like how God intends relationships to be. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember in high school, I don't know if it was on a retreat or if a priest once said it to me, whatever, but someone once said like, Morgan, your relationship. So like I was dating a guy at the time. They were mm-hmm. like, your boyfriend, like, should bring more life into your life. He shouldn't take away from time with family or friends or make any of those things less meaningful. Like, when you meet someone who brings more life into you, it actually, like, only increases all of those other, all those other things. So kind of like earlier, I loved whenever you were saying, like, you know, if I had, like, a wife or whatever, like, I'm not becoming less masculine if she, like, helps increase things in me that she, like, has strengths in. Like, I'm going to become more of a man. I'm going to become more of myself because, (laughs) Jerry Maguire, you complete me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yeah. Not perfection because only God. But you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. Right. And, and, yeah, oftentimes, especially for people who are called to marriage, like, the way that God does perfect you does involve your spouse you yeah I mean? like like necessary that's why you're called to that in the first place and yeah i do think i like what you say about um especially the idea that your spouse you're the one mm-hmm. is not supposed to like tick all of your boxes it's not supposed to be something that you have like a certain set of demands and they are able to meet them it's not that like you have a job opening and they have the best prospects <laughs> that kind of thing um i think i'll i think i want to share something that might be a little complicated okay but i think i think i think it makes a lot of sense and i'll try to verbalize it in a way that hopefully also makes sense so one of the things i have been kind of saving about like what makes a man really a man is of course jesus christ in in the exhortation that i mentioned earlier the bishop of phoenix says this he says that like when pontius pilate brings Jesus before the crowns when he's been arrested, and and this is just after he's been scourged as well, he says, like, behold, the man, right? Mm. And so so the bishop kind of takes this as, like, a a weird cue that, like, if we understand Jesus Christ, we understand masculinity, because he is God-made man. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not that he's, like, God-made this, like, androgynous intersex human being, like, he's specific, like, Jesus Christ is, like, a man. Male. And so, like, there is a certain kind of, a certain something that men can learn from the example of Christ that speaks specifically to our vocation as masculine human beings. You know what I mean? Um, and so, in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, when he talks about husbands and wives, he says, like, he says, okay, you got, y'all gotta be subservient to one another out of reverence for Christ. He has this sort of general word of advice, like, all married people... You gotta be the other person's servant. Like you gotta serve them. You gotta make yeah. them your priority. All that good stuff. And then he takes like a second to specifically address the men who are hearing his letter, and he says, "Okay, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church, handing himself over for her, so that she might be holy without blemish, so he could present the church to himself in splendor. All this good stuff." Right? He specifically says that like part of the role of the man is to be Christ, like. And not just in, like, a universal way to simply be, like, the masculine Christ. Uh, and that there is, like, this certain sense of sacrifice that's involved. When I was, again, in high school, um, I was at Mass. 
and it was a mass where there was just mostly other students. There were some teachers there as well, but it was mostly other students. And our chaplain at the time was a very good homilist. And I want to say it was that passage that was one of the reasons for the day. It might not have been. I could be misremembering that. We had a very realistic crucifix. Like, this crucifix mm-hmm. was, like, in the diocese paper because, like, the artist spent so much time making this an extremely lifelike crucifix. It wasn't, like, super gory and bloody and things like that, but, like, Jesus looks like, genuinely looks like there is, like, a person in a costume on the cross. Oh, my god! Like, it's, it's really, really cool. Anyways, wow. he was talking about discernment. He was talking about finding the one, and, and he, was, he first addressed the ladies in the room, and he said, girls, if you want to find a good guy, and he points to the cross, and he says, you got to find somebody who can do that. Mm-hmm. And then he addresses us, and he says, now, gentlemen, if you want to find a good girl, and he points back to the cross, and he says, start practicing. Uh. A lot of people um, think of carrying one's cross just in terms of, like, you know, what sufferings can I put up with, right? And there's truth to that. For sure. But like the context in which Jesus says that, he's referring to like vocation. He's referring to that like pursuit of God himself. Like if anyone wants to be my disciple, they have to pick up their cross and follow me. Now his, the cross was invented by like before Jesus showed up. His audience knew what the cross meant. For them, it wasn't just about like suffering. For them, it was actually about death. Mm. Like when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, it's not just about, like, when we say we got to carry our crosses, right? It's not just that we mean, like, what sufferings am I going to put up with? It's about, like, on what will I be crucified? Like, mm. what is going to be the altar on which I am poured out? Like, on, like, and especially as a man, as St. Paul says, like, that's kind of, like, at the heart of, like, the masculine vocation, whatever that is, is this idea of, like, being that sacrifice for another person. Uh, because, like... We love going all in. Men, we love, like, giving it all on the field. We love pushing all the poker chips in, saying, I'm all in, right? <laughs> we, like, we love being able to, like, go all out. My roommate and mm-hmm. I um, in college played a video game, and sometimes we would do, like, a one person versus one person. Like, it was like a duel, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, like, Michael, I love playing against you because, like, our skill level in this game were, like, kind of even, and he was, like, quite a bit better than average. Most people, he, was, he was technically a little better than me, but I could put up <laughs> a good fight. He said, I love playing against you because, like, I really feel like I can go all out. Mm. Like, we, we crave that, right? Yeah. And, like, when you look at Jesus Christ on the cross, when you see that he's disrobed, when you see that he has almost no strength left in his body, like, the dude has barely had any nourishment in the past 12 hours, you know what I mean? And, like, his blood is literally, like, being actively shed that's going all out, right? Mm. And we crave that. And especially, like, 20-something-year-old men. We crave that. We are constantly looking for something that we can, like, really, like, this is it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I think so often, this is it, that it thing, mm. we think it's going to be a job. Mm. We think it's going to be a certain city that we live in. We think it's going to be a certain external experience. Most of the time, it's a person. And if you're called to marriage, like, it's not just the person of Christ himself. It's your wife. Mm. That's, that's the it. That's the thing you're going all in for. That's the altar upon which you are going to pour yourself out. That's where, like, you're going to making that real true sacrifice of self. That's where you're going all in. That's the hill you're going to die on. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like, I'm sure it can be helpful to make a list of qualities you like to see in, in a future spouse. But I think the real deal maker, not deal breaker, the real deal maker 
is when you can look at a woman and you can say, this is it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where I am dying. This is where I lay down my life. This is where I pour myself out for her, just as Christ pours himself out for the church. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing. You're my favorite. Oh, that was so good. That priest, I was like, he's my new favorite priest. Whenever he's like, yeah, man, yeah. start practicing. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for sharing just yeah, you all of your experiences. That was that was so good. And so going back to being able to pour yourself out mm-hmm. for like God and if you're called to marriage, your wife yeah. and your family. Um, you're currently, obviously, you know, you're single, you That's said, right. and you That's right, yeah. believe that that could be where the Lord is leading. But like, mm-hmm. so where are you now kind of thing? Um, and what does that look like? Because something that Anne and I ended with mm-hmm. in our episode, which got cut off. But what we had talked about was, yeah. what does it mean in that season of waiting and the purpose yeah. and and how the Lord is kind of molding you Mm -hmm. while you wait because we reflected on the time of God leading Eve to Adam and Eve and God and how she could have grown in a relationship with him. But Adam was also waiting and Adam was working. He was was. meeting all the animals. He was having these amazing experiences and he, he hadn't found the greater, the greater purpose. But at the same time, in that waiting, it wasn't wasted. The waiting is never wasted. So the Lord was allowing him to grow closer to himself, like the Lord. Mm -hmm. So for you, what does that look like personally? But also what what would you want to share with other men as far as if you're in this season of waiting, whether it's willing or not, because guys or girls like you can be impatient mm-hmm. um and like what what words of encouragement would you have in in that season of waiting in addition Gosh. to its purpose i i think i think my first recommendation would be talk to a guy who's actually married because i'm sure he has insights that i don't um i actually quite like being single um it's yeah. not that i like it more than being in a relationship it's not that i don't like dating but i think that for a lot of people being single is something that is something they run from. And it's something that they uh, actively dislike. And I think that that is understandable. But I I wonder if, like, our sense of singleness needs to be redeemed Mm. a little bit. Because kind of like you were saying, like, it's not like Adam's just, like, sitting around, like, bumming it, just waiting for a... What's the word the scripture uses? A suitable companion. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that he's like just doing nothing but waiting. Like he is at work. He like he already has a vocation. It's not maybe mm. like his like his his capital V vocation, right? <laughs> um, but he has something he's tasked to do. Yeah. So I think like in a time of singleness, in that kind of like what we were saying earlier, when it's like discernment is always like you don't want to look too far into the future. It's not that you shouldn't be considering dating. It's not that you shouldn't be reflecting on it talking about it, talking to your dad, talking to other married men about marriage and that kind of thing. Um, but not to make that like the only thing you're doing because yeah. like you have other roles, you have other people in your life that need you. You have other things that you are called to do. And I think, you know, when we say that Adam is like given this job in the garden of Eden, like 
it eventually is supposed to lead him to Eve, but it is good in itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. like taking care of the Garden of Eden is something that is good in itself. And it does prepare Adam for his relationship with Eve. Like, any time that you are growing closer to the Lord, like, you are being prepared. Yeah. Like, any time, like, if God has a mission for you, and he does, like, that is going to be part of, that is going to be a necessary part of your relationship. When Jesus calls the Twelve, and he says, come and see, it's not just this random, like, oh, let's just do some random thing for a while. It's like, no, like, all throughout the way, on almost every step of the journey, he's preparing them to, like, take over. Yeah. Like, he's preparing them for their mission. So I want to say that being single in a healthy way is this weird balancing act of, well, it's actually not even a balancing act. I don't want to say that. I retract that statement. It's not a balancing act. It is <laughs> I a retract mix. that statement. It is a mix of pursuing God, allowing yourself to be pursued by God, <laughs> and also, like, pursuing a vocation just, like, a little baby steps at a time, or at least that's how it seems to be working for me. Um, so there is a sense in which, yeah, you should have an eye on the present. You should be present. Whatever you're doing, like, that's what you're supposed to be doing right now. Like All in yeah, like, where you are. You're, like, who you're called to love is the person who's right in front of you kind mm-hmm. of thing. But at the same time, there is, like, a sense in which you're kind of looking forwards as well. And I don't think these things are at odds. I think these things need to be harmonized. Mm-hmm. I think there's a certain sense in which, as a single person, when I'm teaching... Yes, I'm teaching, like, the kids in my classroom. But there is also a sense in which, kind of in the background, I'm being prepared for if God wants me to have my own biological kids, like, yeah, I'm going to be better prepared for that. So growing in holiness, I think, inevitably leads us to mission. Mm. I think that growing in holiness inevitably, like, when when God has, like, trained us enough, he can finally say, okay... Now it's your turn. Go make disciples of all nations, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you, as much as you might want, mm-hmm. aren't going to be the one who decides when you're ready or when you're prepared. That's, that's yeah. for God to reveal yeah. and I think, to you. And I think there's like discernment as well of just like what marriage is and like learning about marriage and learning what makes marriage work and, and things that are good. Like I would, so much of my current understanding of marriage has grown simply because of my relationships with friends. Like, just having female friends in general just, like, helps you understand femininity. It helps you understand women. It helps you understand, like, oh, yeah, if you were to be in a marriage, like, you just you just get more and more and more experience and information and, like, you can't discern what you don't know kind of thing. So yeah. have rich relationships with, with female friends. Like, have those friendships. Talk to your sisters if you have them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Talk to your mom. Right? That, that kind of thing. Because I think those things are also super, super helpful. And, like, my understanding of what now I even look for in a spouse has been, like, hugely just, like, elevated and transformed just by just the women that I know in general. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's awesome. So, last, last thing. Mm-hmm. So, in the season of singleness, yeah. how important is it to prioritize prayer life? I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, how important I know it's it, an obvious question, but I want you to talk you know about I mean? it. How important <laughs> is it to eat? Like I said, like any proper discernment is Christocentric, right? It's not just like a, here's a, here's a list of things to do. It's mm-hmm. like a, you're encountering Christ, and you are being called to grow closer to him and it's precisely in your growing closer to him that you are growing closer to what your vocation is because ultimately your vocation is a pathway to god himself yeah. and and like a way in which you will not only be reaching god yourself but you'll also be kind of like recruiting other people 
to reach God with you. You know what I mean? So like, how important is prayer? It's it's tantamount. It's critical. It's essential. You you have no idea what you're doing <laughs> you, if you're not if you're not praying about these things. Like, it's like how how important is having a map when you're navigating? Yeah, well, it's kind of the the main the main thing you need actually. I know. So, it's a, I yeah. knew it was super obvious. It was basically yeah, yeah, yeah. me being like, yeah, talk yeah. about this. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, if you wanted to think about it in terms of growing physically stronger, athletically better, you know what I mean? Like, people say, like, yeah, there's a certain sense in which you got to do exercise and things like that. But you also, like, half the equation is just how you eat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I want to say that prayer is kind of like that. Yes, there are things that you do in your exterior life that are important for your discernment. But at the same time, like, the, there's all, like if you are exercising a ton, but you're, like, never eating... Or if you're exercising a ton, but you're still eating in an unhealthy way, like it's not gonna, you're not gonna see a whole lot of progress, or at least you're gonna see a hugely reduced amount of progress. If you actually want to discern properly, if you actually want to like figure out your vocation, you can do all these other things. You can call up all the the women you want, but if you are not like, but if you're not like being fed, mm-hmm. if you're not actually like, if you don't have that like healthy nourishment, yeah, you can't work. give yeah. what you don't have. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Joy and Hope podcast, where we seek to bring light to the dark. If you enjoy our mission, we would love for you to become a patron on Patreon. Our patrons are what make it possible for us to continue doing Joy and Hope full time, bringing you the inspiring creative content that uplifts you to live more joyful, hopeful lives. So please consider supporting us. Thanks so much for being here today. God bless and see you next time.